Well, good morning, everybody. We not only want to welcome those who are here with us physically this morning, but we want to welcome our online community who might be uh, tapping into our service today. And we pray that whether you're here or whether you're watching online, that your life is blessed today by our worship experience together. Today marks the end of our Kingdom Changers series. And uh, today's Kingdom Changer might literally be the most important one that we're going to look at because of what he shows us through his life. But unfortunately, we're introduced to him during one of the saddest periods of all of human history, one of the saddest chapters in all of Scripture. So if you have your Bibles this morning, please follow me. Turn to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to be primarily in Genesis chapter 6, chapter 7. And for those of you who know your Bible, you know exactly what Genesis chapter 6 is going to introduce for us this morning. So let me read for you, starting in verse 5 of chapter 6, about what's going on in the world and about our kingdom changer who's going to be introduced here. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth. And his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. Just as a parent watches a rebellious child wander farther and farther away from them, God watches from heaven as his creation becomes infected with evil one after the other. But there's this great transitional phrase on the horizon. Genesis 6, 8. But Noah, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Why did he find favor in the eyes of the Lord? Because verse 9 tells us, because he was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Wouldn't you love for that to be what's said about you someday, that you're a righteous person who's blameless, and you walk faithfully hand in hand with your creator, trusting every step he lays out for you? What an amazing description. So here's the question of the morning. What do you do when God tells you to do something that seems so crazy, so out of the world, not only just to you, but to even others around you? What do you do when God asks something like that of you? Well, number one, here's what you do. You obey God even when you don't understand. Noah is about 500 years old when God comes to him. He's probably like in a midlife crisis of some sort, which is understandable when you're like half a millennium years old, right? Because that's how old Noah is at this time. And here's what God asks of him in a nutshell. He's, listen, I need you to build a big boat for you and your family because I'm going to destroy the earth with floodwaters. But I'm inviting you, I'm giving you an opportunity to save yourself and your family from my judgment. Now, best estimates are that Noah probably lived about 500 miles from the nearest large body of water, which would have been the Mediterranean Sea. So even if he does build this big boat, how in the world is he going to get us from there 500 miles to the largest body of water? And chances are, Noah has probably never seen it rain in his life. Because Genesis chapter 2 describes that the earth was kind of different then. The way the earth was watered was different. The earth was watered through this kind of a mist that came up from these caverns on the ground. 
And God was very specific with Noah. He knew that this plan called for a very specific kind of of boat to be built that could survive the kind of catastrophe that was coming to earth. So God laid it out before Noah. He says, no, I want this thing to be 450 feet long. I want it to be 75 feet wide. I want it to be about 45 feet tall. Now, if you look at like, not this first light here, but the second light on the wall, that's about 75 feet of distance here in this room, all right? And if you take from where I'm at to the doors right here in the worship center and take that about seven and a half times, that gets you about the 450 feet. And we've estimated that our roof in here is around probably the 40-foot marker, so just a little bit taller than here. That would have been the dimensions of the ark. It would have been able to hold the equivalent of 522 railroad boxcars. It could have held 125,000 sheep alone in it. You know what that means? That's a lot of doo-doo, right? To build a boat this big with no power tools, only three other people to help you, and it's your sons, being 500 miles from the closest body of water, having never seen it rain before, sounds exactly ludicrous to Noah. Nevertheless, here's what I love about this man. Even though he didn't understand, he obeyed God. Hebrews eleven seven says this about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, rain that he'd never seen, judgment that he'd never seen, all the things that he had never seen that God told him was on the horizon, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. You know what this tells me? Faith always equals obedience. Faith always equals some kind of action to demonstrate the faith. In this case, Noah's faith was demonstrated by building this monstrous ark in the middle of nowhere when it went against all human reason and logic. And I think you and I living here in the comforts of the 21st century, we underestimate what a massive undertaking this would have been the massive amounts of lumber required the countless man hours that would have been needed but listen regardless of all that noah did not complain did not argue did not question most importantly noah did not delay i love what genesis 6:22 says noah did Everything just as God commanded him. Let me ask you this morning. Where you're at today in your faith, do you have the faith? Do you have the guts? Do you have the grit this morning to do everything that God has commanded you to do when it doesn't make sense? When God whispers to you in the quiet and says, listen, I know he hurt you. I know he betrayed a friendship. I know the pain of it has been unbearable, but you know what you need to do. You need to love him. You need to forgive him. You need to pray for him. But that doesn't make sense. It goes against everything I'm feeling inside. I know. But faith requires obedience. 
Or if you're single and God tells you, I don't want you marrying that person. Because they don't share your same convictions that you have with me. And I want you to be able to share the most important thing in your life, your faith in me. I want you to be able to share that with the most important person in your life. But God, he's so cute, right? Have you seen his profile pic? I mean, he's just awesome, right? I don't care. Faith requires obedience. Or God might be saying to some of you, if you've really put your trust, your faith, your hope and confidence in my son who died and was buried and rose again, then I want you to take that first step in following my son and I want you to be baptized. You mean go public with my faith, God? Yeah. You mean get wet in front of a bunch of people? Yeah, just like my son got brutalized and tortured and murdered and crucified and pierced and, and berated and belittled in front of a bunch of people. Yes, I want you to do that same thing. Do you have that kind of faith and grit and guts to follow God when, when it doesn't make sense, the things that he's asking of you? Noah obeyed God. And guess how long we estimate it took Noah to build the ark? Probably around 70 years or so. And if you're questioning that and want to know how I've come to that number, I'd be glad to explain it to you after service. But I guess 70 years, give or take. And I'm thinking that if I was Noah, about 50 years into this hammering and sawing and working and the grind every day of preparing this big boat, and I've not seen the first drop of rain, I'd be wondering, God, is this for real? And you probably would be too. Second lesson for today, you got to ignore detractors and you got to move forward. Ignore detractors and move forward. Lots of times, friends, when you walk by faith, when you're living a life, when you're walking in harmony with the God of the Bible, you are going to be doing things that seem nutty to the rest of the world. Can you imagine the kind of ridicule and scorn and criticism that Noah took? being the butt of the jokes in his community, building this big boat when there's not water around, never seen rain, I'm sure that his community had a heyday with making fun of this man. In the same way, when you follow Jesus, he's going to be asking you to do things that do not make sense to the people in and around you. You want examples? Things like you taking your own time, you taking your own money, hopping on a plane, going two, 3,000 miles to some third world destination just to serve underprivileged people. Your destination's not a luxury five-star all-inclusive hotel. It's a mission trip. And your friends and maybe some in your family wonder, why do you pay money to do that? Why do you take vacation off work to do that? Here's why. Because my creator's told me he wants me to be his hands and feet in this world. And that I'm to be looking out for the least of these. And that when I serve them, I'm actually serving him. Because faith always requires obedience. A number of you in here today 
in those who are watching online. You give substantial amounts of money to the ministry of this church so that the name of Jesus can be broadcast not only inside here, but outside here. Money that you could be using to pay a payment on a second vacation home. Some of you could be driving a Cadillac right now. Some of you could have your child's college fund completely paid for. You could retire early, but you're not giving to those things. Why? Because your creator has said, worship me through tithes and offerings. Go through life with an open hand of generosity, just like I'm generous. And remember, faith always requires what? Obedience. Most of us in here get two days off during the week. And right now, you know for sure that some of your friends are using part of their weekend. They're at their favorite fishing hole. They're on a a golf course somewhere. They're on a weekend trip. They're at a sporting event. And those things are fine, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But you've decided that every weekend, as a part of my time that I have, I'm going to make worship a priority. I'm going to make serving in the body of Christ a priority. Why? Because my creator says he dwells in the praises of his people. And so he wants us to come together. My creator has given me gifts and abilities and talents that he wants me to put to use in the body of Christ. And faith always requires what? Obedience. Some of you this morning, you're thinking about maybe being baptized today and you wonder what will my family think what will my friends think what will what will my co-workers think because here's what i guarantee you today following jesus today in 2020 is not nearly as acceptable as it was just even 20 years ago and there's going to be people scratching their head there's going to be people looking at you different there's going to be people asking questions or even murmuring about you behind your back if they know that you make that all important decision but again Faith always requires what? Obedience. And people are always going to be critical. We live in a, a world that's just making hay with criticism. Reminds me of the story I heard about a grandfather who's taking his grandson into town on a donkey. Somebody walks by and criticizes, says, <laughs> Look at that little kid there, making that poor man walk. So then the grandfather switches places. He gets on the donkey, and he puts the little boy on the ground leading the donkey. Somebody walks by and criticizes and says, look at that old man there, making that poor little kid walk. So then the grandfather gets off the donkey to where neither of them are on the donkey, and both of them are walking, and somebody goes by and criticizes and says, you guys are stupid. You got a perfectly healthy donkey, and both of you are walking? So then the grandfather puts himself and his grandson on the donkey, and somebody walks by and criticizes and says, how dare you be so abusive and cruel to that donkey by making him support both of your weights? Last time people saw the old man and the little boy, they were attempting to carry the donkey out of town. You can expect some critics, friends, anytime you try to do anything great for God. 
It's all over our kingdom changer stories. There was always, always, always resistance. So when God asks you to do something big and audacious and what seems crazy and unreasonable and goes against all human logic, what do you do? You obey when you don't understand. And then you ignore detractors and you just move forward. And then lastly, you maximize opportunities while the door is still open. And this is where we get to the nitty-gritty. Because after 70 years of building the ark, after 70 years of going probably between faith and doubt, faith and doubt with every hammer swing, after 70 years of questioning, after 70 years of ridicule and criticism from the people in his community and around him, here's what we read in Genesis 7-1. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family. Now, sometimes in our English Bibles, the, the, the word that's chosen to be used is not a correct representation of the actual text. When I was looking at my concordance this week at the text here, that word that says go is really the Hebrew word come. It's a very intimate word. It's a word of invitation. It's God saying to Noah, listen, Noah, go into the ark. Come, come to safety. Come in here, you and your family. It's an amazing word, that little word, come. It, it's actually found in the Old Testament some 1,100 1, times. 1,100 times it's in the Old Testament. It's like it's God's favorite word. Come. Like Jesus says in Revelation, all of you who are thirsty, you just, you just come to me. So for 70 years... While Noah's building this ark, he's just lovingly pleading with his neighbors and his friends in the community, lovingly pleading with them, come, come to God, come to safety, come to salvation. We read in the Bible that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So for 70 years, he preached and he pleaded, and he compelled, and he tried to make his case. And not one person was ever persuaded, even though he preached as one who knew what was to come. And then here's the word of finality. Genesis 7, 16. Then the Lord shut him in. There comes a time in every human being's life when the invitation is no longer extended. There comes a time in every human being's life when the door is shut and cannot and will not be reopened. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, here I am. Do you, you, you sense the pleading here? I stand at the door and I'm knocking and I'm knocking and I'm knocking and knocking. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. But there's a day, friends, when the knocking's going to cease. And judgment is going to come. Because at one day, the sky turned ominous black. 
There were strikes of lightning. There were peals of thunder throughout the air. The great springs burst forth and heaven unleashed a fury of rain upon the earth. And the door of opportunity was shut. Death was inevitable. For 40 days and 40 nights, the earth was deluged in rain. Genesis 7.22, listen here to the finality. Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Everything on earth is now in this kind of eerie silence. They had 70 years to walk through the door. 70 years to respond to God's grace that came through the pleading of Noah. But God's patience will always come to an end. Can you imagine Noah's perspective? Being on the ark. I wonder if he heard between the strikes of lightning, the knocking, the begging, the pleading, the crying, as the water went from ankles to knees to waist to shoulders. Just give us one more opportunity. The door was shut. And Jesus says it will be the exact same way when he returns. Matthew 24, 7, these are the words of Jesus. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so here's what Jesus is saying, here's a warning to all humanity, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. Everything was just fine and dandy and life was great. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. The message of Jesus and the message of Noah are identical. Sometimes you can wait too long. Sometimes the door will shut quicker than you ever imagined. And I believe that God is still looking today for men and women who will walk through this door of grace into his loving arms. Listen to how it reads in 1 Peter. See, the story of Noah profoundly affects the story of the New Testament. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 3.20. God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people Eight in all were saved through water. And this water, listen to what he says, symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think it's true that we could say this morning that Noah and his family were actually saved through the waters that covered the earth. 
The people on the outside were destroyed by the waters. The waters meant death for them. But the waters proved to be this catalyst, this agent that kind of delivered Noah and his family as they floated in this wooden boat on top of the waters. And Peter says in in similar fashion, this water represents baptism. It represents the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, which is exactly the picture that baptism is supposed to send to the world. It's not the the act that saves you. It's not the water that saves you. It's what you identify with in that water that my Lord died, was buried, and rose again. And now so shall I. It's 2 Peter 3.3. And this is for us. This is in our day, in our times. Some of you have heard people say this. Above all, you must understand that in these last days, scoffers will come. Those detractors we were talking about earlier, scoffing and following their own desires. Here's what they'll say. Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has has since the beginning of creation. In other words, you Christians, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. Why are you still worshiping him? Why are you still serving him? Why are you still giving to him? Why are you still living for him? If he hasn't come in 2,000 years, he's probably not going to come back ever. Verse 5, but they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. He's pleading with you and he's pleading with me who hear these detractors, who who have people questioning us about our faith. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. As someone understands slowness, here's why he's delaying, here's why he's holding back. Because he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God is leaving that door open as long as he possibly can for humanity. But there's coming a day when it will close. And on that day when it closes, the earth, is not going to be judged by water again because God already promised he's not going to destroy the earth that way. This time it will be with fire. And the earth will be purged and the ungodly destroyed. We've designated today as a day for those of you who have not, so that you will have the opportunity to be baptized today. Several months ago in our Next Step series, we had at the end of that service all different things around the worship center where you could decide what your next step is. And many of you decisively said on that day, at that time, with your own hand, that baptism is my next step in faith in Jesus Christ. 
here's my question this morning. Will you say yes to Jesus? Will you say yes to baptism? Will you walk through that door while that door is still open? Because faith always requires obedience. Listen, friends. I'm not trying to scare anybody this morning. There's a fine line between scaring and warning. And I pray that I always come as one who warns. Not as one who plays on your fears, but as one who simply uses the truth of God's word to compel you to take a step in the direction that God wants everyone to go. He's already made it clear. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He wants everyone to be saved. But the truth is, there will be some who will not. And the Jesus we read about in Revelation, when he comes, he comes with fire in his eyes and he comes with a sword on his tongue and he's going to make war against his enemies. And friends, on that day, if you are not devoted to Christ, you will be destroyed by Christ. We've been talking in here about no excuses, all sorts of excuses we can make about why we don't take steps of faith, why we don't act, why we don't let God work through us and use us and do things the way God said. We've talked about all these excuses that we use. And some of you this morning, as I'm talking, you could, you're going to get the excuses going through your head, don't you? Some of you are like, Solomon, man, it took me forever to get ready to get to church today, and I'm looking really, really good today. So let's maybe put this off till next week. First of all, none of y'all look that good, okay? I don't care how long it took you to get ready, because I don't either. And don't let pride keep you from obedience. Some of you are saying, well, Solomon, you know, I wasn't really planning on this today, so I, I didn't come prepared. We've got everything you need. We got a shirt, we got shorts. We got our jacuzzi for Jesus going, and it's nice and warm, okay? Everything we need, everything you need, it's already there. It's already, it's already taken care of. Some of you think, well, if I, if I take time to get baptized and take the time to get ready and get dried off, and I'm going to be too late in picking up my kids from where they're at in the church. Listen, I've talked to Tyler. I've talked to Janet. They said you can pick them up next week, okay? So you're good. Some of you are like, that's enough to make me sign up today, right? A week without the kids. Some of you say, Solomon, we're just visiting at your church. We've only been here, like, this is our first Sunday. We've only been here a few weeks. We're not sure we want to become members of your church. Well, that's fine, because quite frankly, we're not sure we want you to be a member of our church yet, okay? What I'm saying is there's, there's not a connection between baptism and your relationship with our church. It's all about your relationship with Jesus. Membership at our church is a whole different conversation. That's a whole different kind of a commitment. And this decision that we make today, mind you, is not the finish line. It's not where we cross up and say, okay, I'm done. I've, I've done everything for God now. Now I'm good. No, no, no. It's the starting line. It's the beginning. It's the launching pad. 
into the glorious life of discipleship that Jesus now wants to lead you in, the best possible life that he calls you to. You junior hires, you senior hires who've been to CIY and you've been to Mix and you felt God putting this on your heart to do this and you just kept putting it off, why? As Ananias said to Saul, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized, washing away your sins, calling on his name. You don't need to leave here today with no hope, friend. Jesus is your living hope. You don't need to leave here today in despair because Jesus is your victory. You don't need to leave here today with a lack of assurance in your life because Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, gives you all the assurance you need to follow him. So here's what we're going to do this morning. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. And your decision this morning, if this is what God is calling you to, you need to come up and just pick up a towel. Come right through that door over there. Not the one that says exit. That's not where we want you to go, okay? The one right next to it, to the left of that one. And we'll meet you back there. And today you can leave in assurance of knowing that you've identified once and for all with the death, burial, and resurrection of the one who gave everything and went public for you in every way to prove the extent of his love for you. And now he's asking you, not forcing you, because love never forces. He's asking you, compelling you to do this today. So if this is your decision, we'll be waiting for you to come see us with towel in hand. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you for the faith of Noah. I can only imagine, Lord, the, the number of questions, the thoughts, the, what went through that man's head after so many years being obedient for so long with things that he had never seen. But he completely obeyed you. He did everything you commanded. And Lord, I pray that that's what we can, that everybody in here today can leave with the confidence, the hope of saying, I've done what Jesus has asked me to do. I've not made excuses. I've not put it off any longer. I have been obedient. Because faith always requires obedience. So, Father, I can't be the Holy Spirit. I can only bring the words of the Holy Spirit and pray that the Spirit will compel people to make a decision for you. So, Lord, we ask for your Spirit to move now, to convict bring hope, deliverance, safety, salvation. Everything that the ark promised that is found in our ark, whose name is Jesus. This we pray in his beautiful, glorious name.